0: My mama listens to the podcast, and she thinks it's funny when I cuss. You've been warned. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland, and I'm a queer, black, feminist scholar.
1: This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd.
0: We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage.
1: This is a podcast about the realities of Blackness and adult life. We do adult differently.
0: This is That Black Couple. Greetings. This is episode 25 of season two of That Black Couple. So I want you to sit down. And grab yourself some hot tea. We need to rebuild our immune systems and we need to make sure that we are well fortified and shit. And that, you know, we're taking our echinaceas and our zinc and what are the vitamin C? Vitamin C. Um, what else? What are the important things? Honey. Honey. Cayenne, vitamin D. Lemon sunlight, juice. Garlic. I mean, this shit is wild. Okay. Everything that sit your down, mama said. Just sit down and fortify right now you know eat lots of leafy greens drink water we're not gonna recommend that you drink nothing besides that even though you're probably drinking lots of things besides that and that's fine and we're not judging because we drink them too anyway this is that black couple i'm jen
1: this is Darren.
0: Before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBLK couple, on Facebook at that Black couple, and look us up on the internet at ThatBlackCouple.com.
1: You can stream episodes on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you have to rate us really high because um, what else do you have to do? You stuck in the house.
0: Wait, did you say Spotify
1: i do not say spotify what's wrong with you How did I,
0: leave spotify I don't know
1: you can also listen to us on spotify
0: get your life so on today's episode what are we talking about it's mother's day yes
1: happy mother's day
0: you're so late that took you like an hour to say what oh my god okay so this is the radical black mothering episode we're talking about things like parenting without gender and we just want to talk really quickly on first things first about all the things that have been going on in the news um, with black folks and how it relates to mothers in general in segment two on the conversation we'll talk about gender roles why it's so important we're going to talk about uh Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union and their daughter Zaya and why this is an example of the ways that black folks really need to care for black children and protect them and then we'll reflect in our own experiences and why we're talking about this You yeah, ready?
1: I'm more than ready.
0: I feel like you're not ready. Well,
1: I'm. I've been ready. I've been waiting. <laughs> I'm turned up.
0: You don't seem turned up. I'm tired. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be turned up and tired at the I'm, same I'm time. I'm Turned up and tired. You know, like no. the, the body is
1: weak, but the spirit is willing.
0: Okay. See, we're not gonna start with the analogies, and the, <laughs> we're not. We're not doing it. Let's just start. Are we starting the episode?
1: Yeah, let's go. I'm not
0: doing this shit with you today, okay? Okay, so first I want to start off um, as we talk in the in the first things for the first part of the show. Um, if you're familiar with the show, you know we talk about kind of what brought us to this topic. And so I want to talk about, obviously, yes, it's Mother's Day, but um, we do know that there's been a lot of news recently. Even though we are, are on quarantine and a lot of us are locked down in our shelter-in-place orders, um, a lot of us have heard about... Uh, the deaths of black folks across the country like Ahmaud Arbery um, who was killed in Florida. We heard about Sean Reed um, who was killed in Indiana. Um, we heard about um, there's a trans woman in was it Missouri? Mm-hmm. Um, Nina Pop, who was also murdered. Um, so we know that these things are still happening. Um, so black life remains vulnerable even though you know we are At a point where everyone is in a state of vulnerability and so um, i want to draw attention to those murders those deaths especially given the fact that this is mother's day and we talk a lot about mother's day and it can be a complicated day for a lot of people for folks who no longer have their mothers for folks who Um, have difficult relationships with their mothers, uh, for folks who don't know their birth mothers. Um, And I want to talk about lots of that on this episode, but what I want to also give honor to is the fact that we are in mourning. Um, Black folk are in mourning. A lot of Black folk are being affected by the coronavirus. Uh, we know that black folk and brown folk are at high risk of being affected because many of them are essential workers. Uh, many of them have labor where they are not allowed to work from home um, or they might lose income and not be able to feed themselves and their families. We know that black folks remain uh, some of the most vulnerable people in the country and in the world. And so when these crises emerge, um, typically black folk are the, the first ones um, to be affected. So I want to give honor to that as we go into this episode.
1: Yeah, and that, and that's why it's so important that we we create safe spaces. And I, I feel like, um, especially with our theme of talking about mothers for Mother's Day, a lot of time that's that's the job of mothers is we kind of look to mothers to say keep us safe, keep us feeling comforted, give us what we need, you know, uh, feed us. Yeah, you know, all, all, all those things. We, we, those are generally the things we look to mothers for. Um, I don't think that that's fair that we we generally just look to mothers to kind of be the providers in that sense. Um, but in, in the grand scheme of things, this is a time where it's that much more important that we create those safe spaces for each other.
0: Yeah. And I was also thinking um, a lot about like what we learned about mothering from like, black feminist scholars. And I always think about Patricia Hill Collins' work on other mothers. And it's been extended into a lot of folks' work recently. Kristen Smith talks about other mothers too. Um, Alexis Pauline Gumbs does as well. But the idea of other mothers is like this idea that there are people in Black communities who do not physically birth children, but who still raise them and who treat them as if they are their own children. Um, They do community care work. They do it for free. They do it with a smile. They do it without recognition. They're usually taken for granted and it often puts them in an early grave. And unfortunately, that's often black women who are doing that work. These are the aunties that we all love so much who may not have any children of their own, but, you know, they feed us. They take care of us. You know, when our moms are not are not well or need someone to pick us up from school, you know, they're the they're the aunties who are the emergency contacts, you know. Mm -hmm. And that is the type of labor and type of love that black women give to communities. And so this episode is to really honor black women mothers. Um, and those who sustain the lives of black children. So this is both to honor, you know, the folks who mother um, and it doesn't have to be black women. It's just folks who mother. But it's also to, to honor the lives of black children and to say, you know, that we really have work to do when it comes to preserving um, black futures and and to preserving the lives of black children.
1: This podcast is supported by generous donations from listeners and readers of our mom and dad's web magazine, WatercoolerCombos.com. You can stream the show on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope comments. This helps us with our page rankings and gets more listeners for the show. Thank you so much.
0: All right. We ready for the conversation? We ready. All right. So let's talk about this. And I mean, this stems into conversations from Black feminist scholars on what it means to parent as a Black woman. And I want to talk about that. This is the Black mothering episode, but this is also about Black children. So we're going to talk about both, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So we know from Black feminist literature that Black women play a critical role in Black communities, right? So we know Angela Davis has written uh, extensively on the role of Black women in Black communities, that Black women essentially have led communities when it comes to uh, Black communities, and it comes to uh, liberation efforts and movements, um, when it's come to building families and, re- and retaining families. Black women have been critical of that because we have so much power in terms of uh, like for instance, uh, in the slave in the slave plantation, Black women had access to um, those slave mistresses, right? They had access to the slave quarters and they also had access to the big house, right? So we know that there were infrastructures in place that even though Black women were at these kind of extremely vulnerable positions, they also had this immense power. And this has been long-term an issue and also a site of contestation for Black women. So thinking about that in terms of what happens with the Black family, um, thinking about Black women's role in the Black family, um, we've read recently um, all these articles about Black women and their relationship, for instance, to the coronavirus. Um, a lot of Black women are teachers and social workers. A lot of Black women are doing care work, working in hospitals, nurses, nursing work. A lot of that ends up being a strain both on their work in terms of their labor that they provide to their families and also on how they show up at work in terms to capitalistic labor, so their economic output. So the Monahan Report in the 1960s um, insinuated that the issue with the black community and the black family was actually the black matriarch, was the black mother, that black mothers were too masculine, that black mothers were too uh, powerful and patriarchal, and that black mothers essentially emasculated black men, mm. um, and that black men were not present enough in their own families. And so what we see now is that when it comes to black mothering, um, there are all these stereotypes that black mothers are too too strong, that black mothers uh, don't actually need help, that black mothers um, are not actually mothers, that they are just kind of units of labor, that they are there to provide labor both in the home but also outside of the home. And mm-hmm. so all of this kind of black feminist literature has long um, argued that for black mothers, we have to have a different lens, um, and a different way of understanding the responsibilities um and the burdens on black women who also mother and so talking about that today i'm going to think about um what that looks like like what what are the what's what's the data like what does this mean in terms of raw numbers and then what does it mean in terms of what how do we materially uh take this context and think about how to preserve black families and black lives
1: well, and it's, I, I thought it was really interesting that we decided to, to do Mother's Day and gender roles all at the same time. Yeah. Um, Because I honestly think that they really go hand in hand. And, yeah. You know, I'm all about the numbers. I'm all about the, the data and the research. Um, and, and one thing we know, too, is like, if, if you think about looking at things from a historical point of view, right? So people always try to frame households in the traditional sense of, you know, the, nu- the nuclear family with a mom and a dad and then, you know, 2.5 kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we also know that that's, you know, not what most households look like anymore. Right. So, you know, that that leave it to, to be everything that we always talk about of like, you know, the dad that goes off to work and the mom that stays home and, you know, makes the house that that is a minority of households. That yeah. is that is not the norm at all in any sense across the United States. Right. right. So already things things are different there. And we know amongst black families. um, we we tend to actually build family units in different ways. Like we talked about other mothers, but we also have uh, a lot of times where people are in partnerships, but they might not necessarily be married, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So there's all these different types of family structures that that amongst black people, we kind of build, um, that's how we build our homes. Mm -hmm. Um, In a 2014 study that I was looking at, I think this is where we also need to talk about labor, which is, I think, the crux of this whole conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Um, In this 2014 study, it was found that women spend 8.5 more hours per week on domestic activities than men. 8.5. 8.5 hours, mm. and that 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 you know takes into account work and all those other obligations that people have. So that's basically saying, all things being equal, mm. women are still spending that much more time on domestic stuff than the men, and that includes the child-rearing, mm. right? And, and and that's what well, I thought that was so interesting because I, when you think about that, that goes directly into that idea of gender roles. Like we said, we're talking about mothering mother and gender roles at the same time. And so these are the things that are being modeled for children. Mm. So these are the things that they're starting to understand what roles do people play based upon gender, mm-hmm. and they, they first look at their home and how their home is set up and how those people operate. Mm-hmm. And if we're seeing women still on average, even, even as... You know, women are doing much more outside of the household than they did a long time ago. Since, you know, our, our family structure structures are being set up differently, if they're still spending that much more time on domestic and child-rearing activities, mm. what does that mean for the children that we're raising still yeah. in the new millennium, right? Yeah. I found another study. It's a 2018 Global Early Adolescent Study. And I thought this was interesting because it was global. So this mm. was saying, we're not just going to look at the U.S. We're going to look at every country around the world mm. and try to understand when children are being raised when when do we need to actually be um, teaching them about gender right mm. and what it really found is that adolescent health risks are being shaped already by the time children are 10 or 11 years old right right what's interesting about the study is they're basically saying all the money that's being spent globally around you know sex education and, and gender un- understanding all those types of things all those efforts are usually centered around when kids are 15. Wow. So it's basically saying all of that is, it's, like, it's wasted, right? Yeah. We they've already figured this stuff out, um, and I can say as you know a family that has a twelve year old in it, <laughs> um, that is one hundred percent done. We are far beyond that point. We've had all those discussions. Yes. We've gone through it already be- because that's what kids in the real world are facing yeah. at these at these early ages. And so you know, like I said, I wanted to kind of bring in all of that data to really talk about. Um, the idea of gender roles and the idea of mothering and how we need to, number one, really focus on on the household and how we actually talk about these things at the right point in time. Mm-hmm. Then also making sure that we're modeling the right behaviors for our children.
0: So then I guess I want to ask you, when you say talking at the right time and modeling the right behavior, what is the right time and what is the right behavior?
1: And I, I, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh-huh. Um, I think the right time, number one, is all the time. I think, honestly, it starts on day one. Like, I think about, you know, when we had our children. Yeah. You know, even, even when you're when you're going through, like, the the, the the Lamaze class and all that stuff, and they talk about once your ch- child is born, one of the most important things is that they, they give you skin to skin, right? Mm-hmm. So even before children understand words, before they understand anything else, just having that skin to skin contact is so important. And when we were in the classes, I remember it was all about, we need to make sure the mother has skin-to-skin contact with the child. And yeah. the whole point of that was for, like, breastfeeding, right? Yeah. But I remember one thing that that we talked about as well. It's like, well, it shouldn't just be for one parent, right? right? Because I feel like, even thinking about it now, I feel like that's one thing where, from the immediate point that someone is brought onto this earth, yeah. it's already setting up this dynamic of mother is provider for you. Yeah. Right? And then and then the father is some other, other entity guy. that yeah. does other stuff. But yeah. The person you go to when you need something is your mother. Yeah. And I feel like I'm not trying to like, you know, boost up men in any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more so to say that's a really dangerous dynamic to set up that early on. Yeah. If you need something, go to your mother. Right. That's why that's why we know so many mothers who just who are just losing their minds. because They're (laughs) all their children are just going to them for everything. Every moment of the day. Yeah. And I think that's that's something that you know it starts there at, at birth, and it's something that you have to carry on through your child Mo- by modeling life. it.
0: Yeah, and at- I, so I agree with that, and I think, like I think that's a really good example that you bring up. And I was as you were talking, I was thinking like, oh, what are we what have we done? I was like running through the Rolodex in my head of what we've done, and we have tried to model, you know, a breaking down of gender roles from birth, and you know, I think what you're saying in a heteronormative household with like. The skin to skin. They do try to do that even in the hospital. In the hospital, they try to do this, like, really strong bonding with the mom. And I remember being like, well, he's he's the dad, so he needs to bond with the baby, too. And how that that was weird to people. And, you know, it it doesn't matter whether it's a heteronormative relationship or a non-heteronormative relationship. If it's, it's homosexual folks, queer folks, whatever. The thing is, like, they're parents right right so these are the people who are going to care for this child and and raise them so either way they need to have a relationship and orientation to this child where this child feels safe with them and can trust them and i remember thinking that was so weird how they they treated you like a a extra parent like a boot like a bonus and i was like well yeah cool but can he also be participating in the same ways like like yeah. can he also have equal participation in what's happening well, here
1: and that, i feel like you know like you were saying is that something that we fought you know from the beginning you yeah. know <laughs> you know in the fact that it's like i should be cooking too right i should be cleaning too that's you know, the thing
0: like, right so this is about you having equal access but this is also about you having equal responsibility right yeah.
1: and and the whole point of that like i said is, is not to boost up men and say oh you know you know congratulations pat on the back cuz you you know you contributed but the whole point is the burden of all of that stuff should not be on the mother Right, and, and the data points to the fact that you know across most households it still is even yeah. even as mothers go outside of the house and work full-time jobs and have full lives they're still being demanded on right to do the same stuff they would do as if they didn't have those applications
0: it's an expectation right yeah that's sad yeah (laughs) okay
1: well well well, and then like 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 we're saying though the the next step in that right is as all of those things are happening children are watching and we know more than anything else it's not necessarily about what you say it's what they see on a day-to-day basis yeah Right. And same thing. This is what we try to fight all the time is like our kids see us. I know they see what we do and how we operate Yeah, and that they're trying to figure out what does that mean for me and who I should be. And we have fought diligently, like diligently every day on a day to day basis to not say there's some archetype or something that you have to fit into. Yeah. You get to choose.
0: Yeah. Like when when our daughter says, I don't want to get married and I don't want to be a wife. I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I'm like, do whatever the fuck you want to do. And I love that she has decided that that's not something she wants to do. I love that at eight years old, she has the clarity of mind to say, oh, I have an option here and it's not, I'm not required to be someone's mother. Mm-hmm. I'm not required to be someone's wife. And I think it's fucking dope. She, she
1: can take stock of herself and say, what things do I like? What things do I not like? And she can say, that doesn't look like something that is going to be fun for me. Right. <laughs>
0: And but at the and, same and then, time, and saying, so I don't have to. But at the same time, I'm like, what you saying about me, bitch? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm playing. But I, I,
1: I think honestly, I think I think our daughter is the interesting case, right? Because I feel like with daughters, the concept of gender roles is so overt. I feel so with, overt. I feel like with you know the concept of 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 binary gender or whatever that is. I feel like with you know the female gender, it's yeah. it's so overt. I feel with men, it's very. It's very.
0: Um... It's a little more fluid. It's it, you all ha- have a, a position of privilege, yeah, which exactly. means you can opt in and opt out of but, uh, but, behaviors. But I feel
1: like the pressures are they're quiet pressures, right? Oh, absolutely. They're more
0: implicit, right? Yes.
1: Much more implicit. But I feel like with with you know the concept of, of female gender, that's a very explicit thing that's pushed absolutely very early and on. not
0: even just in human bodies. It's 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 pushed in clothing, commercials, mm-hmm. music, lotion, literally everything. is it is gendered in ways where. Where you can identify something that is for feminine or female bodies or for female uh, ideas, right off the bat, it's pink. Mm, yeah. It's got little wispy little things on it and hearts and little flutters and whatever else, right? Like absolutely, yeah. it's it's pervasive.
1: And that's I mean that's one thing I've been I've been honestly scared about with our daughter because she loves pink she does she, she loves frilly things and you know what would traditionally be known as girly things she loves those things yeah and so i know for us for a long time there was this fear that no matter what we were doing in the home so much of the outside, outside society, societal stuff was the messaging was so strong yeah that it was overriding that but i can see her now
0: she just likes that shit
1: she's like this is what i like yeah but that does not mean that yeah. i need to get married and yeah have
0: 20 kids and yeah you know or that i want to be or lady. that i might like Sailor moon but i don't want to be blonde right, right? exactly yeah she, not... she's
1: able to parse those things
0: out right right but I, I mean honestly it was hard at times yeah you know so i do i want to also add to this conversation i want us to talk about dwayne wade gabrielle union and zaya wade Mm -hmm. And I want to talk about that in the context of, you know, a shift in the conversation that we're having from a focus on black mothers to a focus on black children. Right. And I think that they're really, really important because talking about the feminist literature I was talking about before, a lot of the literature I'm talking about talks about the burden of 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 raising black children. And I hate saying that because it's such an honor. It's such a gift. Like, I feel so gifted That I have my children like I feel so blessed that I have my children I say burden to say that there are special and unique responsibilities and special and unique expectations on black mothers that are not placed on any other group Mm -hmm. Um, and that those expectations often cause uh physical mental emotional harm to us
1: well like like just as an example even just this week you were saying white people don't have the talk
0: right the talk the and talk about violence. Yeah. Right and
1: it, and that's the thing, like even you know, amongst black, you know, communities you just say the talk and we all know We all know what it is. It's not the sex talk. No. You know, it's we, the we people know. want to kill you talk. Right. And and that's, you know, one of those special, yes. like you say, burdens that yes. that causes harm that is distressful. Yes. That's it's just plain difficult.
0: Yes. It's 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 the burden of watching other black mothers mourn their children when they are murdered by police and community vigilantes it's the burden of having additional hashtags created because another black person was killed and knowing it could be your child or you or your partner or your cousin or your dad or your brother right that is also a part of being a a black caretaker a caretaker in black communities someone who acts as a a quilting person in a community, a person who quilts communities together. And overwhelmingly, it's black women who do that work. Mm -hmm. And And always have. Always have. And so when I think about babies like Zaya Wade, who is working on identifying herself, who is working on trying to figure out how she wants to show up in the world and has to contend with all the bullshit of people who have opinions about someone who they don't even fucking know, who's not their fucking child. And I'm so... I'm so grateful to be able to witness Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade and how they're very nonchalantly saying, fuck you, this is my kid. I love that. I also hate that we have to watch it and be like, yay, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade are such great black parents. Like, I hate that they are now seen as like black parent unicorns and that there isn't this norm of black children being protected when they are figuring out who the fuck they are. Yeah. And that is something that I've been really struggling with. I haven't talked a lot about Zayaway publicly because I think part of me feels that in all the praise, there's a subtext. And I feel that the subtext is saying, okay, black people, this is the model. This is how you're supposed to do it. And mm-hmm. you haven't done a great job. And the truth is we haven't. And no one has because cis folks are fucking trash and cis folks are harmful to trans folks and cis folks murder trans folks. And it's fucking disgusting. And the fact that people still don't understand that queer folks' issues are Black folks' issues, and trans folks' issues are Black folks' issues, and immigrant folks' issues are Black folks' issues, and poor folks' issues are Black folks' issues. You know, it's one of those things where I often feel that I'm watching this happen, right? I see Zaya Wade, and I see her figuring out who she is. And then I just think about the community of care that has to mobilize to protect a child like that. The community of care that has to mobilize to say, baby, it's going to be okay. All the trans women who are probably just enfolding her in their arms to say, mm-hmm. Don't listen to nothing these people say, don't read no comments, don't read don't get on Twitter, don't don't read nothing on Instagram, don't you know, and just protecting her. Because what's happening is that for for children like Zaya Wade, what the world is saying is that they don't want them to exist. And so what that means is that communities mobilize. And usually those communities are femme folks, black women who are other mothers, folks who birth Children, folks who step in to to make safe spaces for Black children, and that's that's the connection, right? That's the connection between Black mothers and Black children is that even when Black mothers are not birth mothers, they are safe. They are safe places, and there or they should be safe spaces. Right. And that often Black women and Black femme folks step in to be safe spaces for Black children, especially for queer Black children, especially for trans Black children, especially for poor Black children who have. Nowhere else to go.
1: And I think that's the thing, too, is you really just drove that point, point home that, you know, we rely on these mothers and these other mothers to step into the gap um, and be just really completely flexible because yeah. those gaps are not one size fits all. No. In every single situation for every single child, they're all different. Yeah. And we just rely on them. You know, these are people with without in most cases without any type of professional experience or training as to how to to do this yeah to just figure it out yeah and to be honest they do it
0: they offer therapy services they offer food folks be opening up their homes you Mm -hmm. know like real social work care work you know and that's i think that's who i'm really wanting to honor today but also that's who i honor every time i think about black children that's who i'm thinking about too you know the community of mothers and other mothers who preserve those black children's lives you know the backbone the backbones. You can find my mom and dad, aka That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. That Black Couple is owned and operated by Color Convos Media. If you would like to help fund our content, sign up at www.patreon.com slash convos media. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. You can also give one time donations at
1: www.paypal.me forward slash All donations are welcome. And we're back.
0: <laughs> Hi.
1: I'm so glad that we were able to do this episode. Uh, I just feel like it was really important. Me too. Um, Obviously, really timely because today is Mother's Day. Yeah. Um, But also really, really important just to honor all of the mothers out there, all of the other mothers like we've been uh, talking about across this episode. Um, That's kind of personal for me because when I think about how I was raised, um, I was raised by a collection of mothers. I had, you know, I had obviously one mother, but I had, I don't even know how many other mothers that helped raise me. Um, through all the different phases of my life so i always had someone i can go to someone who was there to watch me who was there to feed me who was there to hug me who was there to teach me can you there...
0: give our listeners some context my nigga
1: i i'm getting there
0: okay
1: but the point is i just i was i was raised by a collective of women
0: because they were all members of
1: us because they were all members of the the, the
0: illustrious
1: <laughs> Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated.
0: Yes, yes. the huh.
1: And so I mean and, and it's real like I really was raised by a collective of women. So you know my mother she worked incredibly hard. She worked over 40 hour weeks. I mean yeah over 40 hour weeks and she worked I think about an hour and a half each way from where we lived. Yeah. Um. She kept me fed. She kept me entertained if I if there's anything I wanted to try I, you know she was there I was playing sports I was playing um instruments whatever it was I was in boy scouts you know she was a troop leader at one point yeah she was um she was my Sunday school teacher at one point I mean she my mom she was there yeah she did everything and I still don't know how she did it but yeah, she did it either. but at the same time she did have that support system of a whole bunch of women so if 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 someone needed to watch me there was someone to watch me There was all types of programs and stuff that I was in where I was learning about science and learning about history and learning about, you know, black culture. Um, There's all these opportunities for me to then also volunteer and help Mm. other people. Right. So that's that's I think the crux of what we were talking about and why I really like this episode already is just that it really is reflective of how a lot of us are raised. Yeah. And I can look at I can look back at that and say that worked yeah and it really did make me who that who the person that i am today
0: yeah i mean i was i mean you know my background i was raised the same way my mom wasn't in the sorority but she's a gospel singer church woman and so my my other mothers were aunties who were not blood aunties you know they were fictive kinship they were the, mm-hmm. the aunties who just been around for a long time Been my mom a friend for 20 years and so that's auntie you know mm-hmm. um and i was raised similarly where you know that's who house she went over and that's who you know picked you up from school and that's who you hung out with you know if your mom had to go do something late after work and you know, my dad wasn't around, and so that's who raised me. Is women, is my grandmothers, and my mom, and and the women in my community. And so, absolutely, you know, other mothers were critical to my to my upbringing. And I keep thinking about also, um, Audrey Lord's work uh, when she's talking about her son Jonathan, when she talks about the ways that she raised him to uh, basically be anti-racist, be anti-sexist. Um, and to actively fight against the misogyny and the misogynoir that he would be exposed to and how she basically said that, you know, it's required of us when we raise children, especially when we raise boys, to to empower them and encourage them to to do things that are otherwise and to do things that are not going to uh, create more harm for others. And so I always think about like the Audre Lorde writings and the Alexis Pauline Gum's writings and... What, it's mean, what it means to raise children who are not meant to survive, right? In a world that is anti-Black, in a world that does not want Black children here, what does it mean to raise Black children? And it is revolutionary. It is radical. And I, I think that that's why communities work so hard to protect Black children. That's why Black women work so hard to protect Black children. And I want to, I don't know, this last little thing I saw on Facebook the other day, I've been seeing all these cute little videos because all these kids are stuck in the house and they're like kind of miserable. But it's made for some really cute memes and some really cute videos. And I saw this little girl and she's a little black girl and she was walking down the street and um, she had a little plant and it was a little pot. And apparently she was really worried about the pot dying, the, the plant dying. So she had the pot and she was carrying it above her head. And she was trying to get it as much sunlight as possible and she was walking down the street carrying this little plant in this little pot um and i could think to myself was like wow please protect this baby you know like wow just protect this baby protect this little black baby because all she wants to do is get more light in this little pot for this little plant you know and she has no conception of the fact that her her life you know her light is also you know, under attack, that she's also at risk. And all she wants to do is protect that little plant. And in that moment, I just kept seeing an analogy to like black women and how Mm -hmm. we care for communities and how we care for children and how we care for, you know, when we're teachers, we care for children who are not ours. And I say that as a professor who cares very dearly for my students who are not my children, but I love them as as though they are. You know, we talk about, you know, care workers, social workers, nurses who care for their patients, folks who care for their clients as if they're their own children. Um, and all of those are examples of the ways that we, you know, even when our light is at risk of being eradicated, we still try to find ways to put light into something else, you know, no matter how small. And I just thought that was really beautiful.
1: Yeah, put, putting another life literally above yours. Right. Thank you all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple, on Facebook at that black couple, and look us up on the internets at www.ThatBlackCouple.com.
0: Bye.